Welcome back, everybody, to the Uncensored CMO. Now, I don't know whether you managed to catch the episode a couple back of me talking about how I got fired twice. Um, it's a bit of fun if you want to, although it is rather long. I think it's the longest episode so far at just a short of two hours. Um, so bless you if you have listened to that one. But at the end, producer James asked me uh, what my plans were for the show going forward. And one of the things I said to him is, um, ironically, for a podcast called The Uncensored CMO, I haven't had many CMOs on, so I want to fix that. And I want to talk to CMOs about uh, their job, their challenges, how they've become successful and what we can learn from them. So I'm really excited that in this episode, I get to meet the CMO of one of my favourite brands, Yorkshire Tea. Now, I don't know whether you've been following the Yorkshire Tea journey, but it is really quite astonishing. Um, Yorkshire Tea have gone in the last few years from a market share of 13% of tea in the UK up to 33. Quite an astonishing turnaround. In fact, that means that they were number three in the category. And in just the short uh, two or three years, they've gone to become number one. Now, tea is a very well-established category in the UK, as you might imagine, uh, with very entrenched behaviours. So how on earth did Yorkshire Tea managed to go from a distant third to number one and in fact not just number one but retain and accelerate that position in the last couple of years during lockdown well to ask this question and many others um, i caught up with dom dwight uh, cmo over at yorkshire tea or marketing director as he refers to himself to find out how yorkshire tea did it and also to find out about his personal journey um, he started out as the social media manager. In fact, he launched their Twitter handle back in 2008 when Twitter was a wee boy and has gone on to take over the biggest job in marketing for Yorkshire Tea and has led some uh, fantastic performance over the last few years, including some brilliant positioning work and some excellent creativity, which um, uh, we'll talk about in the episode and is also testament to the fantastic results they've achieved on the System 1 database. Anyway, without more further ado from me, let's get into it. Here is my conversation about how uh, Dom turned Yorkshire Tea into a proper number one. Here we go. Dom, I'm really glad that you've joined us, so welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, I kind of feel like I need to correct something immediately, which I feel like a bit of a fraud, but organizationally we haven't embraced the CMO title Oh, don't yet. worry about it honestly I, 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 I've always been a marketing director and then at some point in fact I've been a marketing director my entire career and everyone seems to talk about CMO so I just changed it retrospectively so to CMO yeah, it's an American thing isn't it I might it's, do that I yeah. actually changed my uh, job title on um, LinkedIn a long time ago for a coffee related stunt that we did and oh. I changed my title to coffee enthusiasm officer which was just a prank like there was no yeah. reality to it but it was quite funny that there were senior members at Betty's and Taylor's who picked up on it and thought that my job title had changed. Oh, very good. Do um, you keep it? Well, I'm just, uh, no, in the end of, uh, uh, because I'd rather be marketing director at Taylor's now. But, um, <laughs> very good. It was just, it was just a lesson in like how um, the surface can often kind of convince everyone and change the substance, which, yeah. you know, might be worth. Well, we were talking, of course, off air. I was asking you um, whether you've got a proper business card, of course. So maybe, maybe there's an opportunity here to, to, put your title well we were talking about maybe the business card could also double up as a as a tea coaster yeah I like uh well I think the idea of them being a tea coaster is fun and 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 when we were talking I think I was thinking about you know what's the role of a business card that nowadays and how could you make them more useful so the other one would be could they have little bits of information on them you know trivia little jokes and stories um but maybe what you could do is just have a variety of job titles that are all silly and made up 
Even better. I mean, as, as, as you know, because I've managed to thrust a business card in your hand by the moment you walked in the door, it was uh, being a contrarian. I just think business cards now have got such novel novelty value that everyone I hand mine to is like, oh, a business card. I haven't had one of those for about 10 years. So it's, I think they might come back into fashion. Who knows? Yeah, they could. I like it. So listen, t- 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 tell us, quickly bring us up to speed then on how did you get to where you are today in terms of your career? So what's the, what's the short summary of the Dom Dwight story i'll give it a go and i'll try and keep it short um but i i do have to go a fair bit back just to kind of land one key point which is that i don't particularly see myself as a conventional marketeer um so you know i'm probably one of those people that mark ritson would rant about and i'm not <laughs> i'm not a qualified marketer um and even worse i kind of came into it through social media um, did you but i Ooh, like okay. before that i i left uni and after sort of walking in the wilderness for a few years doing dreadful jobs I got into journalism and I started working for a regional magazine company in Yorkshire um, and regional publishing um, basically was gradually getting killed by the internet so I had about five wonderful years where it was very badly paid but there were a load of perks and it was very fun and I learned a lot and then had another couple of years where the bad pay and the sort of terrible prospects of business folding every day um, was quite uh, a worry when I had um, a small child had been added to my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started casting about. And I think at the time, my thinking was much more around, I want to carry on doing something that's to do with writing. I want to carry on working in food and drink. Uh, I loved it in Yorkshire. I'm not a native to Yorkshire, but um, I moved up there for uni in the 90s and stayed. Um, I also didn't really want to be like a tiny sort of cog in a massive corporate machine. Mm. And when I looked around and I kind of started to pay attention to Betty's and Taylor's and Taylor's of Harrogate, um, I realized that fulfilled quite a lot of the uh, criteria. Um, And um, I kind of made a couple of inquiries and ended up working for them as a copywriter. So they were quite unusual in that they wanted an in-house copywriter. Wow. um, Which for the Mm. size of business was, was quite an unconventional thing to do. But it was a great job. Um, the uh, the amount of work that was required of me was so different to working in regional publishing, where I just had this amazing leisure of just taking my time to get things done. Yeah. So I had spare time, which coincided with um, investigating Twitter in 2008, before it had really caught on, realising tea was getting talked about a lot on Twitter. Was it now? Yeah, well, kind of... <clears throat> I think the main place that it was happening was, you know, if you think about where Twitter started, there was mm. basically an expat community in California, kind of probably like 20-somethings and 30-somethings from Britain who were working in the design community and the tech community. And one of the things they do is they connect with other expats and talk about how much they miss tea and things like that. So I found this whole world and kind of talked to my boss and they allow me to get Yorkshire Tea started on Twitter. So Yorkshire Tea's been on Twitter for sort of a weirdly long amount of time. Wow, early for, adopts then. Yeah, um, and one thing led to another, really. Um, I was doing this really without being on the radar of the marketing team. I wasn't completely, you know, breaking the rules, but they just didn't really know what it was and didn't pay attention to it. And by about 2010, 2011, we started to see some real sort of potential in social. And I was invited to come and join the marketing team. And we did a campaign where we sent our converted ice cream van, Little Earn, we sent it to uh, America for an ad campaign about rescuing Brits abroad from terrible tea. And that was my introduction to kind of broader marketing. But back then I used to be the kind of social media monkey at the back of the room who would occasionally put his hand up and ask a silly question. Um, But gradually what happened was as social became all of digital and then as digital sort of combined with uh, doing things in the real world, 
Um, it, it sort of transpired that what we needed was uh, somebody to keep an eye on how the brand was coming across no matter what touch point you're talking about. So um, at that point, you know, my kind of remit expanded. It was only really five years ago that I kind of, um, the opportunity came up for marketing director. And I definitely stepped into that role feeling if it's about comms, then I can do this in my sleep. But if it's about that kind of more hard-nosed commercial side of marketing, then basically I'm quietly shitting myself all the time. <laughs> um, and there's been a real steep learning curve. But, um, you know, I think um, what a great sort of company and brand to learn that stuff in. Well, the, the, the thing I find really amusing and also heartwarming about your story is, of course, you know, you, you've gone from, you know, the, the, the digital sphere to making some of the most famous, effective bits of TV creative. But not only that you've delivered some very hard-nosed commercial results. I mean, one of the reasons I'm so keen to have you on, of course, is that, uh, you know, listeners may or may not know that Yorkshire Tea is now the number one tea brand in the UK. It is only recently got that accolade, isn't it? It was number three as recently as, what, uh, four or five years ago? Yeah, I think we tipped into number two in 2017. Yeah. Um, and before we became number two, talking about becoming number two felt like um, that's a bit ambitious. Yeah. Uh, to talk about becoming number one just felt ludicrous. Yeah. Um, there, there was a period in time where, um, you know, the tea market in the UK was basically dominated by Tetley and PG, who had about a third of the market each. Um, you know, and then we would be, when I joined the business, I think we were around 12, 13% share. And now we're 33 and PG are in the kind of mid 20s and Tetley in the low 20s, which wow. kind of that's, you know, every time I say well, that, I feel like I need to pinch myself. I know, I mean, that's just absolutely astonishing, isn't it? I mean, you know, without sort of, you know, upsetting you, but I think you, know, you, you say, mention tea to somebody and what they think of is a traditional, fairly staid category, one that's gradually in decline over many years, it's not particularly dynamic. It's probably one of those things everyone's got their tea brand and it, it forever will be the case, sort of thing. And you've completely ripped up the rule book and, and, and changed a category that I think others might have looked at as, as and the other thing I noticed as well, I don't know if this is true, but it feels like that one where it's very heavily traded in store as well, you know, in terms of offers and that kind of thing as well. So how talk to me through the strategy. So how did you go from is it thirteen percent you're saying ten years ago to thirty three percent now? Yeah, roughly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean that's in any market that's dramatic success, isn't it? So Take me back to the early days then, you know, in terms of like you were saying, even number two was feeling like ambition. What was the strategy when it came to the products, you know, how you promote it, all those sorts of things? Um, I think maybe the first, there was so much that you've just said that uh, feels like each one of those is like a brilliant little rabbit hole we could go down. Yeah. But I'll try and stay on, on track. Um, I think one of the first things to say is go back a bit further. So like when Yorkshire Tea was created, it was created in 1977 which uh, is surprisingly not that old. No, I think a lot of people old, yeah. sort of imagine Yorkshire Tea is older than that. But the company, Betty's and Taylor's, you know, we've been, um, uh, we've been going for over 100 years. Um, and there were tea blends that Yorkshire Tea um, was based on. But it was in the late 70s where they decided to kind of do the branding of Yorkshire. But back then, the aspiration was really tiny. It was to become a popular tea for Yorkshire people. So it was Yorkshire Tea for Yorkshire people blended for Yorkshire water because uh, most people don't really think about this stuff, but the hardness of your water, the mineral content in your water, affects how the tea that you brew tastes. And back in the old days, people would have had a tea vendor who would have blended uh, the tea specifically to get the best results mm. from your water. Um, and the reason why I think it's worth going back that far is because I feel like the real turning point for Yorkshire Tea was uh, around 2010. But 
um, we wouldn't have been able to do what we did in 2010 if it hadn't been for the 30 years of slow, steady growth. So one thing is just we benefited from this amazing kind of grassroots approach where, um, and partly because of the product name, you know, you, you're invoking regional pride every time you talk about the product. But um, there was just such a solid base of people that were quite loyal. And I'm careful not to say loyal because I think there's not really such thing as 100% loyalty. But um, we had a lot of loyalty. We had a lot of advocacy, like people who are prepared to go out and tell the world, actually, you shouldn't be drinking that tea, you should be drinking Yorkshire yeah. tea. Um, and I think maybe in the noughties, we'd also had this kind of beefing up the business to try and grow it, but grow it through distribution. Mm. So we went from being a regionally distributed brand with very little national to being nationally distributed. Um, so by the time that I started to get involved in things in 2010, the only lever left to pull was the kind of um, communications lever because ah, the see. brand had just been so under-communicated all that yeah. time, um, which, you know, is, is brilliant because you kind of sat there with all this gold that's just been waiting to be utilised. Um, and I think when I was at that point working in social, I was enjoying the fact that I've got this uh, group, uh, this sort of, diaspora of Yorkshire tea people spread across the world who love the brand who are happy to talk about the brand and don't even need any prodding to do so and by getting online we could kind of be part of that and amplify it and encourage it and all those things and then um, we had a couple of goes at uh, TV campaigns where either they were a bit um, mild you know like the humor was a bit dry and the messaging was earnest but quite soft and it didn't cut through um, we tried a campaign in, I think, 2009, where we worked with the comedian John Shuttleworth. I don't know if you know him, but he no. does a... He's brilliant, and he does this kind of t um, act where he um, he basically sends up working club uh, musical turns. Um, so he plays songs with a Bon Tempe keyboard, but the lyrics are usually really funny. Um, but that kind of went over the audience's head. Um, so that didn't cut through. And then in... 2010 2011 that's when we came up with this idea of our sending our van let alone around america but i think what was key to that um is just sort of taking stock of where the tea market was and realizing that you've got these two titans you've got pg tips and tetley and they were playing by the rules in that they had their distinctive brand assets and they would hammer in them and they kept their message quite simple but I think it just, with hindsight now, I look back and just think it was really complacent. There was a kind of yeah. acceptance that because it's a traditional category, low interest, everything you said, yeah. steady decline, like the, the level of engagement by our competitors felt like it was quite low. Yeah. You know, they were still investing, but it felt like it was all going by the numbers kind of thing. And and are, they, are they both part of big multinational conglomerates as well? Because that's the other thing, of course, is that they've, they, they've got a portfolio to manage. Yeah. Whereas for you, presumably, it's everything to you, isn't it? It's the company. So, so therefore, you're going to invest... Absolutely. You're very best in it. Like, so Taylor's is part of the group called Betty's and Taylor's, but Betty's is a chain of six really lovely cafe tea rooms. Sort of think Fortnum and Mason, but yes. Yorkshire style. Yeah. Um, and an online bakery business. Um, but tiny in comparison to Taylor's, which makes tea and coffee. And then the coffee side of our business is worth about £40 million nowadays. But 
Yorkshire tea is by far the biggest yeah. part. So Yorkshire tea is our sort of bread and butter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you're Unilever, then PG is just one part of your portfolio. Exactly, yeah. And you might well be looking at standard black tea and saying, well, the UK are drinking a lot less. We should be, we should be paying all our attention to the growth of green tea, mm. fruit and herbal tea, speciality black, which I think is pretty much what they did. And all of our competitors seem to turn their eyes to like the new categories where the new growth was and take standard black tea for granted. Yeah. Um, and because we were a small, um, you know, challenger, kind of all this headroom was just potential for yeah. us. Yeah. Um, and I think we also just realised that there needed to be a slightly different approach to talking to people about tea, partly because people don't think about tea very much. So to get people to think about tea, you've got to kind of prod them um but even though it's a low interest category when you get into the psychology of why do people drink the tea they drink why do they feel the way about the tea they drink um I like to simplify it most people drink the tea they grew up drinking which means they're drinking the tea that their mum and dad bought and it's most likely it was their mum that was doing the shopping so when you go to that person and say the tea you drink is bad I used to say, well, that, you're basically having yeah. a go at that person's yeah. mum, which yeah. is not the best way to start a relationship mm. with someone new. So mm. what we did with our America campaign, I think, was we we worked out a way to stand shoulder to shoulder with the consumer and point somewhere else and say, they they don't seem to understand tea like we do. Mm. Um, so, you know, if you're a diehard PG drinker, you could still talk to Yorkshire Tea and say, yeah, it's right. When I've been to America, it's really hard to get a decent cup of tea. They just don't get it. Um, and that became like a sort of universal uh, category truth type message. Yeah. I think the other thing that was really important was a lot of advertising back then was very much like full of artifice. Whereas our campaign was we genuinely did send our van in a container ship to L.A. And then we drove it across the States and we filmed it. Um, and we uh, this is where I got involved. I was chronicling the journey on social media and interacting with people who were either in the UK saying, oh, where have you been? Or in the US saying, please come to me. Uh, so it was, it had this realness to it, which yeah. um, uh, I think like lent the campaign a different quality. Um, One of the interesting things I've observed as, as you tell this story actually is how, in a way, the role you had early on as social media manager actually made you very in touch with the people that drink you and getting feedback in a way that most marketing directors or CMOs are so far removed from their actual consumer. It feels like that's a really important part of the story because you understood your audience very well. You had insight being fed in real time and you knew what worked kind of thing. Is that is that a true reflection, do you think? Does that help you become a better, now you're in a more senior position, are you better because you've had that sort of intimate engagement with your customers? Uh, yeah, I think so. In a nutshell, although I'm careful to say it's not enough on its own, but yeah. it definitely was my strength area, and I have like leveraged that throughout my time. And I think if you, if it's missing, I think you're in trouble. Yeah. So this sort of idea of just empathy um, being a really crucial part of marketing. But um, I, I do actually think that there was an element of my time in journalism where you think an awful lot about the reader and the mm. audience and. Is this gonna is this gonna um, enthrall them? Are they gonna like skip this article because yeah. it's awful? Are they gonna? Uh, you know, we also worked on advertorials, and I remember back in the days before I'd really worked in marketing of just finding advertorials such a tricky beast because if you get it right, you can make an advertorial just as good as the editorial, mm. and then the brand that's sponsoring it does really well out yeah. of it. But um, often 
brands who were doing advertorial would just not understand that and they would just want their messages in yeah. and then it would be like well no one's going to read this so this is a useless um, investment <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that that definitely stood me in good stead I think the other thing is Twitter uh, in particular and then Facebook became amazing spaces to just observe how we were being talked about and I think what happened in 2010 and that sort of those years around there was our internal perception of who we are, uh, how Yorkshire Tea is seen, um, had to change because we gradually understood that we were seen slightly differently. And I think one of the things is, um, you know, we're a family-owned business. We've got really a great kind of moral compass as a business. But I think we were a bit old-fashioned and definitely quite traditional in terms of how we thought of Yorkshire Tea. And what I found when I was online was that um, people were really up for Yorkshire Tea being a lot more idiosyncratic mm. and fun uh, I mean I hate you I've just used that word I hate using in marketing <laughs> right but um but being funny and being quirky um landed brilliantly and people didn't reject it people actually seemed to yeah. treat it like this is exactly what I thought Yorkshire Tea would be like and that was what we were like on social but it wasn't our tone of voice on packaging it wasn't our tone of voice in our advertising yeah. and I think what started to happen was we realized we'd we'd struck onto something mm. through uh, that kind of proximity to yes. our customers and um, that tone of voice gradually informed the collective tone of yeah. voice of the whole brand. Makes a lot of sense. I, I mean, it's funny, Orlando has just written a book called Look Out where one of the things in it, he, he calls it the serious case for humour. And actually it's something we've lost. And I, one of the reasons, you know, I love your campaign over many years is how you've embraced humour and you've embraced provenance and all those, all those things and character and so on, which I know comes through in his book very, very well. And I think probably in, I mean, this is, I had Paul Felbrick on the podcast a few months ago and he talked about showmanship rather than salesmanship, that we forget that actually, just like a, you know, a film or a book, part of your role as a brand is to entertain and actually that's where you get the emotion and connection with the brand from so I think it's good business sense so although we can be accused of being the colouring in department sometimes and like frivolous waste of money on all these kind of you know humour but actually there's, there's a good business case behind it that often for, for having a personality Absolutely. Uh, you know, like there's a good business case. I think the best um, instances are when you've got a good business case, but there's also just like a really good human argument yes. as well. Yes. So um, one of the things that sort of struck me as um, kind of strange, like it, uh, as if it was fate or something, is that when I was a teenager, I was um, I was probably... I watched far too much TV. I was effectively sort of raised by TV as if it was a third parent, you know, <laughs> part of that generation. But I loved ads. Mm. And um, I, used to, I used to find sometimes ads were far more entertaining than the programs they were interrupting. And um, I really miss those days. And, there is um, a tracker, apparently, that, that, that tracks the ads are better than the programs as a metric that's been going for 25 years. Right. And apparently there is, it's statistically, tra I can't remember, that it's something like almost half of people would agree with the statement, the ads are as good as, or if not better mm. than the programs, was half the generation back in the 80s. Now it's like 15% or something. So, yeah. and I, I think online probably has got something to do with it because of the, you know, the, the, the cheapness of the ads were served. But the, the, there, is, there is a truism to that. There's, there's some data to back that up as well. Yeah, and so a part of me thinks, um, I'm really pleased that data and analysis shows that ads being entertaining mm. um, pays off. 
but there's a part of me that thinks, isn't it mental that we need it to be told? <laughs> yes. Um, because yeah. I, I, we've just sort yeah. of bought into this idea of we want to make ads that feel like they represent us well. Yeah. And then throughout that time, we've also wanted to make ads that we're proud of and that we've enjoyed making that we enjoy watching. Not to the extent that we've confused it and thought we're the intended audience, but you know, you've got to have that. Um, it's got to be kind of... Um, you've got to have some integrity there, haven't you? That yes. it, it is a true expression and that yeah. you are proud of what you've done. Um, and then I guess by the time you get to 2016, when I was in the marketing hot seat, I, I think you can kind of see that come to bear in terms of the switch in our advertising style, definitely. where there was definitely entertainment and there was definitely humor. But um, one of the things I really love about the work that we've done with Lucky Generals over the last five years is I feel like each one of our ads kind of... I hope that people would agree that they stand up as like little comedy sketches. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, just 30 seconds or 60 seconds of just um, really nice comedy writing. Yeah. And I'm, I haven't sort of lost the plot and thought that's my job. My job is to kind of create comedy that entertains people. I know it's still got to sell stuff. <laughs> but th 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 this is a great thing about, and this is one of the reasons I'm, I'm such a fan of your work, because you are executing comedy and entertainment but boy you're delivering a brand message with it and the product placement is exceptional i mean you know you, you, it happens in the factory you know it happens in the warehouse it happens in the uh, you know in, in the kind of interview room and, and that's what's so amazing is that you know it's a yorkshire tea ad no one doesn't know what's being you know what's being communicated but they're enjoying themselves at being entertained and and that's you know it, it's entertainment and emotion that you know, helps us remember things and helps us build association. So I think it's funny, it's mixing the art and the science, but I think you, what you're doing is incredibly hardworking. Tell me, well, I'd love to know, I'd love to know the origin of the strategy, so where things are done proper, properly. Where did that come from? What was the inspiration? What was the insight behind that? Yeah, okay. Um, so that I, there's a, there's a prelude to it, which is when we did the uh, Mission to America in 2010, um, I think that was a very important turning point because that's when we came up with the word proper. But the word proper wasn't sort of deemed as like that's the nugget around which everything else is based. We just came up with the line, let's have a proper brew. Um, and there were a couple of things. One is like brew was us deliberately trying to find a word that the other tea brands weren't using. So PG tips would often say cuppa and so would Tetley. Um, brew also had a sort of down to earthness mm. to it that we liked, which actually didn't gel very well with a lot of people in the business who saw us as kind of traditional and a bit too a upmarket bit more, for that kind of thing. Above that, yeah. But, you know, we, we persuaded them. Um, and the sort of let's have was this nice inclusive call to action. Um, but really, what was most important was that word proper, because it a bit like with, uh, is it Budweiser with the original? You know, if you start saying that we're proper, it's obviously inferring that, like, if you're not Yorkshire Tea, you're not proper, yeah. but, we, but you're not saying that. Um, it's a positive message. Yeah. And um, and that, that landed really well. Uh, but it, most importantly, I think it sat really well with us internally. The more that we thought about how do we try and talk about ourselves, the more properness worked. And what I like about it is it works at a product level. So you don't have to get really highfalutin about this. It could just be Yorkshire tea is a proper cup of tea because it's strong and it tastes right and it's good quality and it brews the same way every time and all those things. And actually isn't life just a little bit better when yeah. those little things don't let you down? Yeah. Or properness could be if you're the sort of person that wants to know a bit more about what a business is like and what it does, you could look into our relationships with our farmers mm -hmm. or uh, our, environmentally our environmental responsibility record and you go, oh right, they're proper. And that, and that was kind of our, our way of understanding what proper could mean, mm. was it had depth to it. Um, 
when we got to 2016, I think one of the first things that Lucky Generals noticed, um, kind of in partnership with our media agency, Good Stuff, was that we'd had like five years of successful advertising, but the advertising was largely successful at um, strengthening our relationship with existing consumers who already knew the Orchard Tea brand, already liked the Orchard Tea brand, and basically preventing them from deviating into yeah. other brands um, as much and sort of hold clasping them to our bosom sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but what we were not doing a great job of was winning over the people that never drank Yorkshire tea. And I think, so two key things that uh, Lucky's came up with. One is that um, if you try to talk to people about what properness means, and you do it by trying to say about all the things we do to make the tea better, the product better. People just don't engage because mm -hmm. people don't think about that stuff. And it's also a bit dry. Um, so that's that was one um, part of the mix, uh, in which case uh, one of the things that um, the guys from Lucky's noticed was that when you come up to tailors and you walk around the building, just from the way you're treated in reception or the goodie bag you might get when you leave or whatever, there was just this sense that everything's done with consideration yeah. and kindness. So they just felt like, you know, yeah. everything around here is done properly. Um, and more and more it became an idea. It's like, if, well, if you could just point to these kind of the minutiae and say even these things are done with yeah. uh, insane focus on properness, that is a way of you know, landing the message that Yorkshire Tea does everything properly. I think it's brilliant. I, I love it. Because you actually, so it, I mean, for me, it does two things. It does exactly what you described there, which is it knits everything together, doesn't it, in terms of the company. You can imagine that everything is done properly. In your in mind, you imagine, you, you already start to imagine how things are done properly. But the other thing is, which you sort of alluded to, which is it's a lovely challenger position because it reframes suddenly everything else as not proper. Mm -hmm. Very subtly, you know, not in an aggressive way, but suddenly you go, oh, well, if Yorkshire Tea's property, then may, maybe everything else isn't, you know, sort of thing, which I think is very, very good. But let's talk about the new, because, you know, you won't have gone from 13% to 33%, I imagine, without recruiting lots of new people into the category. So how did you do the job, given it's, it's traditional category, it's very habitual, as you say, people grow up with their own favourite tea. How did you manage to get so many more people into the brand in a relatively short space of time? So I think, the, so this is the second part of that um strategy the, uh, the the kind of origins of the where everything's done proper campaign one was you know we can focus on the minutiae and amplify those things and make them funny and that will cut through and that will speak volumes about our properness of our product etc the other thing was um like what is the creative platform that we're going to use to get those things across and um that's where the use of celebrity came in mm. um now like Personally, and I think organisationally, we were quite squeamish about the use of celebrity. Not because of the money involved, but more because there's loads of examples where it's done really, it's done really badly. You know, it's really crass or it's really superficial. Where or celebrity you, is used properly. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, so I'll probably make you sick, kind of, with, with the constant references <laughs> we'll, we'll to things going, being done worry, properly. And yeah. and sometimes when we talk about it, it makes me conscious of the things that we don't do entirely properly. And I sort of worry that one day. You know, you'll come to see our offices yeah, and be like, this yeah. bit isn't Hang proper. Hang on a second, I expected um, the fax machine to do this. You know? But yeah, I think yeah. Um, the, po the point about celebrity is sometimes it, the, the, uh, a campaign can kind of reek of the fact that the celebrity, is their heart isn't really in it mm. and they're doing it for the money. Mm. Um, or it can feel like the brand has got nothing to say on its own, so it's bought in a celebrity. Yeah. And we, we were worried about those yeah. kind of perceptions. But what I think we managed to achieve here is that, um, well, firstly, we've got to work with people from Yorkshire We've got to work with people who are kind of like nationally recognized, but also nationally loved mm -hmm. and importantly recognized as being really good at something, being 
you know the proper person to do that thing yeah um so i think those pieces all fitted together to make us a lot more comfortable about working with celebrity but fundamentally the use of celebrity was because parky will be much better recognized by the nation than yorkshire tea yeah um you know some people will see both those things as just amazing bedfellows and you'll get this incredible amplification effect but for the people who are maybe what we call proper switchers. So switchers would be the people in their 30s and 40s who kind of go into the supermarket and they might have one particular tea that they tend to buy, but they will fluctuate massively based on promotions and price at the time. And what we were trying to do was just, let's focus on those guys, the focus on the folk who tend to buy PG or Tetley, depending what's the best deal. But when we call them proper switchers, we're talking about the ones where through a variety of kind of proxy questions, we've mapped that we think there's a collection of people out there that care about things being done properly. Yeah. Um, so those were the group we were trying to speak to. And what we found is that using celebrity got us noticed by those people in a way that just using our own brand didn't quite do. It's a great example of how to use celebrity. I mean, just, just, just for the sake of the listeners, if you're not that familiar with um, the campaigns we're talking about. So you've had, since 2016, you've had Kaiser Chiefs on reception. Mm-hmm. You've had Parky doing your interviews. You've had Sean Bean managing the induction for the new starters. The Brownlee brothers have been running delivery for you. And you've had Dynamo in the warehouse getting the stuff off the top shelf. I mean, I mean, where do you go next? What's what? I mean, can you reveal what, who's next on your list, or is it? Is I it can't. All work in but progress? that that all. Uh, I mean, depending on when this goes out, um, that should be coming out sometime next year. Okay. Uh, and it's in the works. Okay, good. Uh, but it's like a perpetual challenge, you yeah. know. Like, how do you? Every time you raise the bar, obviously, you're yeah. then thinking, well, who next? Yeah. And it's not always <laughs> the case that the person you have in mind yeah. is available or wants yeah. to make an ad, or uh, you know, maybe the script doesn't quite come together in the same way or something so we've got I mean when um, all of these ideas were kind of shared at pitch so I'm sure the guys at Lucky's are kind of proud slash embarrassed to yeah. say that when they in, in the pitch they had something like 25 scripts for this idea oh wow I love those meetings um, and I'm sure at some point they were thinking maybe we shouldn't share this many we should be just sharing the, a couple that yeah. are the best but I think they really wanted to show how much they love the idea and how big the idea could how long the idea could carry on for yeah. Um, where we found ourselves, I think, is we've risen to the ceiling really quite fast. You have, yeah. So we're now working in a quite rarefied yeah. space of like, oh, who's who's more yeah. famous than Sean Bean? What do yeah, we do? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been, um, I Big mean... problems, proper one, problems. Proper problem to have, yeah, a nice problem. Um, but it's... Um, so talk, talk, talk me through the selling of this, right? Because look, okay, yeah. I, having been in your role before, you know, you, you get very excited in the agency you know, they usually, we open on a beach in, you know, the south of France or whatever, and, and, and we've got, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio's walking down, you know, you, you, you know, you get presented a audacious, ambitious idea, and then you go back to your fairly conservative, traditional family setup where, you know, um, every penny counts, and that sort of thing. How did you sell in the idea that you were going to employ, I mean, let's take Sean Bean, right? One of the, the most famous people on the planet, I don't imagine he came cheap. I know he loves <laughs> loves the products and stuff. How did you sell the idea to the to the powers that be? I mean, he didn't come cheap, and he wouldn't accept payment in tea, which is what we, what, what we <laughs> would normally try. Um, yeah, sure. We know you love the tea. I mean, the, one of the best things about trying to um, sell in the use of Sean was that Sean and Dynamo were like phase two. So I yeah. think we made those ads in 2018. The pandemic's kind of yeah. screwed with my sense of what happened when in the last yeah. couple of years. Um, 
So we had the success of the first burst, which uh, was a trio. We had Michael Parkinson, we had Brownlee Brothers, and we had the Kaiser Chiefs. They all went That's out at the same time. That's not bad for a trio, right? Yeah, it was brilliant. <laughs> and um, we uh, we did that in 2016. And I think, um, well, firstly, the campaign was really successful. So when I was then saying, here's phase two, we're going to carry on using mm. celebrities. But what we might do is we might make slightly fewer executions so that we can take the spend and spend it on a kind of mm. more expensive, uh, higher recognition celebrities. Mm. So I, I didn't actually have as much of an uphill struggle. Um, if I'd gone in first with Sean Bean in 2016, I think that would have been oh, okay. a nightmare. Yeah. And, I, and one of the choices I think would have been, is, it depends on whether I'm arguing for incremental marketing investment or not. Yeah. Um, because one thing I was prepared to do was I believed in the idea so much that if the if the pushback was you can't have more money to pay for these celebrities, then I think we'd have just found it by cutting away at the uh, production budget and at the media spend and at yeah. any other kind of less important pots of marketing spend. Um, luckily, I didn't quite have that much sort of thumb screw tightening yeah. going on, so we had a bit of flex. Um, and... Um, I think uh, also maybe because the first campaign it was less of a known thing so the first set of um first group of talent that we work with it's really hard I guess for anyone to gauge what's the right price yeah like in retrospect I think we had a real bargain there with yeah. what we paid and what we got um, and now that the things are success obviously each well each new say, celebrity we talk to the the, the but, price is sort yeah. of Climbing. I, I'm not surprised. You know, Victor McVeigh's success and so on. But you know, and has has the mar- has the investment increased with the success? Because obviously you've gone to market number one for the last couple of years. Obviously turnover's gone up a lot. Has has the business seen the return on that investment? And they, they can can they attribute it back to the campaign? Oh, I feel like there's a couple of questions in there. So can they attribute it back to the campaign? Yeah, it's really hard to do otherwise. Mm. Um, but I guess there are number of other forces at work at the moment so our media investment as a sort of percentage of sales if that's like the best rule of thumb is 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 staying relatively stable like it tends to be quite a lot beefed up and the first burst of a new campaign um, but over the last few years it's been pretty stable um, but we had like a very weird year at the start of the pandemic where um you know a lot of people uh, i mean I, i'm sure i remember you talking about this on one of your recent episodes about the brands that cut advertising yeah. now yeah. we uh, cut advertising and promotions but not because uh we um felt we could get away with it but more we was we couldn't keep up with demand so oh people like consumers yeah. were all staying at home and yeah. the amount of tea that was being drunk at home suddenly went through the roof and um, we also had a number of other things going on that were meaning our ability to ramp up supply was really hindered. Mm. So we actually turned promotions and advertising off because mm. we, well, you can't promote something that isn't there. No. And, and advertising something only for the consumer to go, I'm trying to but buy it, where is it? Yeah, would just be annoying. Create, create so um, so anger, that, yeah. that, that led to a bit of a dip. Uh, and, and we had a kind of bonkers year where the profit level looked mad oh, of course, because yeah. our investment in P&A had dropped so much. Yeah, less so much. discounting, less advertising, yeah, yeah. more volume. But and So yeah. I obviously had to do quite a job to wow. kind of keep reminding people that is a one-off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> we've all been you, there. I you have a bumpy year and then it becomes a budget. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you did you bank some extra budget? Could you kind of go, right, let's squirrel this away and keep it for when time? That would have been an idea, wouldn't it? Yeah. No, uh, not really. Um, and actually, we're, we're going through quite a, a you know, a, challenging period now um just because like the rising costs everywhere yeah. so every- that's the risk you rebase your business don't you and Absolutely. then of course you, you assume a bigger margin you assume the bigger volume then when it tightens you then you then 
you know you're then stuck yeah yeah and um you know like i know this is an analogy that other kind of marketing experts use but that notion that we are like a uh, some sort of jet in flight i definitely think that what happened with um with the pandemic is like we turned the engines off but yeah. that we had a, an amazing wind that just kept us yeah. uh, like going at the same altitude and the same speed uh and now we're going through some pretty hefty turbulence but actually yeah. we've got i think it's really like the last 10 years worth mm. of thinking and consistency that means that we are weathering that pretty well well this is when brands go dark interesting insight of course because you do the bigger you are the more successful you are the more momentum you had before mm-hmm. going dark the longer you can hold out but of course, like turning the engines off, you glide and then eventually you hit the turbulence, you see. So it's interesting to see that play out. Um, let me ask you about your creative then, because um, before you came, I just jumped onto the System 1 Test Your Ad database to have a look and try and rank your uh, rank your um, five uh, five spots. So, And I'm intrigued to know, because we talked about the power of celebrity as well, whether there's any correlation between what you've spent or how well known the celebrity is and how well the spot's done. So this will be quite fun. Um, so look, you've got five bits of creative. You've got Kaiser Chiefs, Parky, Sean Bean, Brownlee Brothers and Dynamo. Um, put them in order for me based on how you think now bear in mind at system one of course we test the emotional response to the campaign um, and how people feel about what they're watching so it's less rational more emotional yeah okay but uh, I'm just going to go with my gut Right, go, yeah, uh, yeah well, that's what you should think. So that's the system yep. one. There you go. So go on then. So I, uh, I think if I start with the sort of most effective and work down, yeah, I'm do reckoning that. it will have been Sean, yeah, then uh, Parky, yeah, then mm, a bit torn. But I th- I'll go Brownlees, yeah, Kaiser Chiefs, Dynamo. I think that's the order. Kaiser, Dynamo. Okay. So, and it's interesting because on, on the system, there is, there is a proper spread, actually. It's quite interesting. It's, it's well spread. So um, just to say, uh, five stars scale, average ad in the UK is 2.4 stars, right? So first good news, they're all above average, right? Nice. So that's good. So well done. Phew. Um, at, uh, in fifth place, you called it Dynamo, uh, 2.8. Uh, interestingly, and this was the this was the one that surprised me when I looked up. Parky three stars. Oh, I right. know, I know. So I, uh, but I'll I'll come in and th- yeah, okay. see what I, what I think is good. Number three was Brownlee Brothers, three point six. Then at the top you got Sean Bean at number two, four point six. But the number one as on our database in this category, Kaiser Chiefs, five point three. Wow. Yeah. And it's interesting. It's very interesting looking back because because again, I, I've I've gone on the journey with you and seen them as they come out. And actually, look back at Kaiser Chiefs. You've got you've got humour. You've got the music, mm. of course. Um, you've got you know familiarity with 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 the stars. Um, so yeah, Sean being at number two as your most expensive investment. I, I know you can't reveal how much you paid. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, what do you think about that ranking then? Kaiser Chiefs coming in at top. Ah, that, well, do you know one of the things when I was trying to go with my gut and overthink it, what I realised was going on was I was I was trying to rank the kind of cost of the celebrity and my perception of like how well they landed and how recognized they are, but also aware that the celebrity isn't the whole formula. You know, there's also, there's the storytelling, there's the, there's the idea of the script, there's the script itself, there's the production. Um, And now I've heard what you've said. I think one of the things I remember is when we shot the first three ads, we shot them all over two days. Yeah. And, um, the Brownlee Brothers ad because it's so complicated it had so many scenes and a lot of action it was a long day and quite exhausting um, uh, Parky's ad all takes place in pretty much one room and yep. felt quite sort of um, comfortable yep. but it was charming um, 
the Kaiser Chiefs ad was the last one we filmed and it felt like we filmed it quite quick and under really? a bit of pressure. Ooh. But I remember when they shot it, there's yeah. the, where the gag is revealed, where yeah. the camera pans from the receptionist to the band, yeah. that little swing of the camera, yeah. when I saw that through the monitors, I just laughed out loud. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just remember, I kind of looked at the creatives from Lucky Generals and yeah. I felt like there was a, a telepathic thing where we all basically went, that was bloody great. Do you know, there's a fascinating thing in Orlando's new book, which is precise. You just articulated something he draws out in his book, which is um, one of the analogies he uses is that we've become very flat. And, and we, we, you know, he talks about the adversarial stare, that it's very much kind of me at you and I'm trying mm-hmm. to make you think this and buy this product. And he said, actually, what you've lost is movement. And actually what he uses with, with the, you know, the Sean Bean spot is he said when he when he appears to draw his sword which of course isn't the sword is it yeah. it's the pointer it's that sudden movement that captures your attention and actually makes you smile and gets you emotionally engaged and that's exactly what the kaiser chiefs thing did. it's the panning around from the receptionist hello yorkshire tea uh, get on hold and then and then it's that movement and dynamism that comes in that uh, that works so it's, it's yeah, doing exactly that. what he talks about i mean that what's one of those things i think is you know just hats off to the agency really and hats off in particular to the creatives because I think something that you just touched on there I don't know how consciously they will have said that piece of movement is important I mean maybe on reflection later they'll look at it and say that's what it was but it's more that um, instinct you know and I'm definitely a big advocate of I just don't like the idea that instinct gets kind of quashed by like too much rationality and too much analysis like you need the facts you need the data you need to be able to present a, a cogent argument but deep deep down like you want yeah. your instincts to be informing things yeah. don't you yeah and you can really do it and, and it's humanity isn't it because we're, we're warming to the characters i mean you know the, mm. the the stuff we often talk about here is um you know the importance of character and and you've got so much character in sean bean haven't you so actually your investment in him is paying off because yeah. of the character of his speech and you've got the people's reactions you know the, the facial expressions and this is what alana talks a lot about is i mean he refers to it in a kind of right and left side of your brain sort of thing but the right side of your brain it gets implicit communication it gets humor it gets nuance it gets facial expression and and movement and and, and music and all that kind of thing so the reason he talks about it a lot in his book of course is that you know in that kaiser chiefs and in the sean bean ad you've got all those things that appeal to us emotionally and keep up and capture our attention and create a memory yeah. i mean the other thing of course i think i was saying to you earlier is that i think you've done so cleverly is a bit like should have gone to spec savers is you've created an idea that could be from no one else other than you. And, and it's so intrinsically Yorkshire as well, isn't it? Is that it, it, it's an ownable asset, I suppose, mm. is that you've created a, a setup that can, you can use time and time again. And like you say, you can use it in whatever scenario you find yourself in. Yeah, so. hopefully. And, and also I like the idea that um, as a sort of umbrella idea, when we come to produce bits of content for social, you know, whether that's an online video, but it's not with the same level of production spend as an ad, or whether it's just yeah. like one little graphic that we've made, you know, you can bear in mind this notion of um, where everything's done properly yeah. all the time. But what I like is when that's not done in such a heavy-handed way that if you're an audience member, you feel like you're just being sort of bashed over the head yeah, with the same message, hammered the with the message, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, sort of use it as a platform to inform amazing creativity. That and then everything feels like it connects, yeah. and there's this sort of consistent messaging underneath. So, g- given that you came up from being the social media manager and, and probably you know writing all your own tweets, and, and now you're the marketing director, um, how do you ensure that the team that now do that for you uh, deliver it in the right kind of way? Ooh, good question. Um, 
I well trust is a huge thing mm. so um, I really don't get very involved anymore but um, I I just have enormous trust in the people that do it and I think they know that um, and um, I, maybe that all sounds a bit sort of flippant or superficial but um, the the period where I started to let go of social media which was sort of quite a few years ago now when I just couldn't keep up doing it myself 24-7 and doing all these other new bits of job um, I was gradually trying to bring in somebody else who could do it and I tried a few different people who were all really good but it took me a while to find um, this guy Tom who is still the guy that writes the tweets today uh, and I just love Tom like he's just a marvelous human being he's um, really like gifted writer but he's a lovely person and I also think we benefit from the fact that he's not enormously motivated mm. <laughs> um, so he's very happy doing what he does for us yeah whereas I often look at him and think he should totally be writing sitcoms yeah like you know HBO should have snapped him up like five years ago or something yeah, luckily yeah. he hasn't done that and we've still got him but there's a sort of team of people around him so although he's the guy so we give him a lot of space because I think without the space he would be constantly second yes. guessing whether yes. what he's saying is okay and he's going to be thinking stuff over enough on his own without then having to run it past three yeah. different levels of management and stuff. Um, but importantly, we spent a lot of time together when he took over where we were really looking at the tone of voice stuff together. Mm. So I feel like after a year or so of me kind of like sitting on his shoulder saying, I think an ex exclamation mark at the end of that makes us sound way <laughs> too chirpy. Yeah. Um, you know, that level yeah, yeah, of yeah. pedantry. Yeah. Um, he's got to a point now where he... He knew what the sort of framework was that he should work within. But then importantly, I think he's also made it his own. You know, each person that has got involved in yeah. the brand social media has added something that's then like evolved the personality. So, you know, I um, I work really hard to make Yorkshire Tea a very personable brand when it was me doing it. But I think what Tom's done is he's made it a much more entertaining, very funny brand. Yeah. Um, which at the outset was not the intention, mm. but it's just it's happened. It's happened over time, and it's happened. Partly because it's what we've done, but partly because we do it based on how does the audience respond. And if the audience rejects something, we think, oh, okay, well, they don't want that from us yeah. then, do they? Yeah. Whereas what you see from Yorkshire Tea nowadays is very much the product of our community of sort of our audience mm. saying, more of that, please. Great. Um, Where so, yeah, social's I, done proper. Yeah, um, uh, you know, the, the, yeah, sorry, I did tell you I'd... I'd no, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm lining them up now for you, <laughs> uh, apologies, uh, apologies to the listeners. Well, it's funny actually mentioning a Tom, because um, actually at System One, we've got a Tom as well, who's a copywriter journalist, he used to be, he used to work actually full-time here, but he's so good, I mean, he, he, again, he should be writing, um, you know, sitcoms as well, actually, because he's, <laughs> he's absolutely brilliant. Um, but it's lovely, and, you know, he, he loves writing, and what's great is I phone him up and go, Tom, what do we think about the new John Lewis ad? And like about an hour later, I've got this most amazing like 600 words of really insightful, well-written, entertaining copy of him. It's, it's brilliant. I think having someone of that craft full time mm. able to respond as things are breaking and be in the conversation, I think is well, super. Do you know, super. actually, something else um, that I feel is important to note is that Tom's background is that he was a news editor for a local paper. Yeah. And a bit like my experience, but he had, you know, like a thorough journalism sort of credentials and stuff and was working in news, whereas I was just sort of working in lifestyle journalism. Um, I think he was just really gradually worn down by the budget cuts. And, yeah. you know, but what was brilliant about it was that um, 
that the level of like ingenuity and productivity that comes from journalism is insane because you've just got people who are just get used to the fact that they've got to do four different things at once and they all and they all needed doing yesterday mm. and by the way there's no budget to do any of it just yeah. get it done somehow yeah. like yeah. I've always really admired that about sort of Tom's mindset and um, I think what's great now is that once upon a time it used to feel like you'd have the world of brand comms that was done in-house within social media and then you'd have the world that was done by your agency in advertising yes. and they were poles apart yeah, often you know, are, yeah. one was huge amounts of money one involved quite a lot of ego uh, probably a fair amount of hierarchy but at the same time when you got it right these things exploded mm. and they were huge effects uh, where social there was always this kind of puzzling question of like what's it doing for us how how powerful is it really yeah. um and um that's one of the other things that i looked for when we were uh, when we, we had an agency pitch and it really spoke to me about lucky generals was yeah. um oh, there's just something about ego you know i just feel like there there's a like lightness of ego they're very low ego aren't they that's yeah, true they're I, very I, very skilled yeah and i love mm. that because i think um you know if you if you basically put the work first and then you don't worry too much about like the work, whether it started as an idea Where the credit goes or anything or, like that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, or if it flows in the other direction. And now I'm at a place where I feel really happy about the this sort of ecosystem we've got of stuff that's done on social, stuff that happens on our mainstream sort of TV campaigns. Um, and probably like one of my favourite examples will be the social distancing teapot yes, film that, that we made um, uh, about a year ago, um, where... Um, I, I feel like it sometimes seems quite difficult for big agencies that make TV ads to produce bits mm. of content that work really well on social media. Um, so often what we would find is that we were better off doing those things ourselves on a low budget or going to a specialist agency that did only that yeah. kind of thing. Whereas the social distancing teapot, it's not the only example, but it's my favorite example yeah. of where that was a collaboration between our in-house team and then it was produced by Lucky Generals. Oh, good. And... Yeah. Um, I just that's the kind of work yeah. I want to do more yeah. of you know just where you can have this sort of world where it doesn't you matter where the idea comes yeah. from it could be executed it's consistent with the idea yeah, yeah. brilliant but I, like you know now that uh, the dust has settled on that campaign I look at it and think well there's not much difference between that campaign and the kind of thing we would have put on TV yeah um, you know the quality yeah. of the idea um, is really strong yeah um, and we had a similar example where we recently um announced that we had achieved carbon neutrality for our products mm. which like actually been sort of in not, the works we're for a very long time are we? <laughs> so yeah yeah into it soon. and i think even uh, you know lucky generals commented on that actually that it, it was typical of us that we just quietly announced to Understated, them, we're yeah. carbon neutral now and we think we should maybe tell people you know whereas a lot of other brands are kind of like making huge claims about Big how they're going to be one day yeah yeah one um, day yeah so we made a lovely little online film that took Andrew Hutchinson, who's the real-life artist, Yorkshire-based illustrator guy, who paints the illustrations that are the pack designs for Yorkshire Tea. Ah. Um, so he's a real person. It's not computer, all that stuff. Um, and um, we we made this short film where it was about Andrew trying to think how could he communicate this carbon neutrality status. And he did it by going bonkers and putting all sorts of environmental messages in the illustration and getting to a point where he suddenly concluded, you know what, this is total overkill, we'll just put yeah. the logo on pack. So it was, you know, as a gag, it was a very, very subtle, simple gag, um, but it just had this kind of authenticity to it. Um, and um, it was lovely to see Lucky Generals produce an ad that didn't have like bells and whistles. Yeah. And it was just soft and lovely. And then that was only put out online 
at first because that's what we asked for. Yeah. But um, over time, we gradually realized we maybe have an opportunity to run this ad on TV. And we did. And mm. um, it went down really well. Oh, and I, uh, that's, I love the example yeah, yeah. of something moving in the other direction of yeah. going from o- online serious, only to serious TV. As well, yeah. And not feeling like it was jarring to yeah. see something that had been produced for online living on TV. That's really clever. In fact, it reminds me, I don't know if it's just the inspiration. I don't even remember years ago, there was, there was some viral film about what would happen if Microsoft had invented the iPhone. I don't know if you remember it, and literally you've got this kind of complicated box with instructions coming out and all these, you know, all these different versions, unpacks with loads of little, you know, yeah. and then you've got the iPhone, which is just the iPhone. But it sort of reminds me of that is, you know, with something like the environment, you can overcomplicate the message. And, you know, it's quite a clever move. Listen, there's something that's come through our entire conversation that I wanted to ask you about, because almost in everything you've said, there is a culture that sits behind what you do. And I know something you told me earlier is that the, the senior management team have been consistent for many, many years. Mm. How much credit do you think the culture of you know, your organization has? What role does that play in creating the environment for you to be successful? Oh, I think it's a huge part of it. Um, I mean, partly because I don't think people would stay as long as they do if mm. it wasn't for the fact that the culture is so sort of, um, well, there's a kind of warmth to it in that like, there's a genuine sort of focus on looking out for each other, looking after yeah. each other and, and togetherness, but real togetherness rather than it just being lip service. Um, and then I think the other part of the culture that really uh, underpins everything we've done in our marketing is this idea that properness is um, legit. Like we actually mm. live that as well as talk about it. And, um, you know, so I think that kind of comes through in the sort of standards but it also comes through in terms of the way we work with each other. So um, I think one of the things that other people that come into the business would find quite unusual in our business is the amount of time we invest in personal connection with each other. So I think I mentioned to you before yeah. we were talking about how when the leadership team get together, like we actually spend a good chunk of our time just talking about our personal lives and how we're doing. Mm. Um, and that's not the only team that behaves that way. So you could probably look at the business and say, wow, I don't know. 20% of the people's time is being devoted to sort of checking in with each other about how they are. But I just find that stuff is so critical to really strong working relationships that mean that when times get tough, we don't fall out, we don't yeah. waste time in conflict, we just figure out how to get things done because the respect and the trust and the rapport is already in place. That's um, so interesting. Cause I know when the pandemic struck, there was this sudden outburst of how are you? Is everyone okay? It lasted for about six weeks. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And it was this slightly fake of start every meeting with checking in. Are people mm. okay? Are they able to manage? That disappeared pretty damn quickly, didn't it? And, and I think there's something interesting about the longevity of the people in your team and how you've built those relationships up, up over so many years and the level of trust that when something like a pandemic happens, you, you're able to cope because you've already got that infrastructure. You're not having to pretend on, mm. over a Zoom meeting that you're interested in what the other person's going through. Um, I, you know, I think that word pretend has sort of really struck a chord with me because I think that's maybe the problem mm. um, in other places is when it's not heartfelt, when it's not really meant. And, um, and even when people have good intentions, if you work in an organisation where that stuff is quite alien because they don't do it normally and then they try to do it, um, it might be that the person trying to instigate it wants it to work and means it, but the the, the people in the room just don't feel like it's real yeah. because it hasn't been real before. Yeah. Um, whereas, I, yeah, so I definitely feel like I benefit from the fact that I've joined this business that's got this 
great culture that's been building over a number of years yeah. and then un- what's great about it is it's not so rigid that as new people join they can't inform mm. that culture and help evolve it and move it on um, you know one, one example for me would be when I first joined the business although it was a very lovely place and the standards were very high I also felt like there was this sort of I don't know like reverence around the place there, yeah. there was vaguely like joining some sort of modern church you yeah. know and, uh, and I uh, I definitely didn't swear as much 10 years ago as I do <laughs> now really um, but I do feel like people are probably a little bit more free to be mm. themselves um, and I think that's important I think it's not just important for sort of well-being and then that mm. informs like or, or makes possible higher levels of productivity mm. but I also think you can get better creativity Definitely. can't you yeah. um, and it's not just in the business I also um, one of the things it's probably like one of my most important areas is when we work with our agencies I just really want those relationships to be robust mm. and real um, which is why the previous point about um, ego with yeah. Lucky Generals is so important you know hate those conversations where you feel like you're talking to an account person yeah. about the creative and you just don't know whether what you're saying is going to really be related to the creatives mm. and vice versa whereas what we're able to do is have conversations where everything's out on the table yeah. and you can just talk with honesty yeah. because there's there's enough respect there that if there's a difference of opinion you're not going to fall out about yeah. it and I suppose throughout this whole conversation I'm conscious that I'm painting quite a positive picture of everything, and it, you know, I'm, it's probably important to say there's there are plenty of times well, where we don't be agree anywhere, weren't there? Yeah. yeah. But I think I think the, the the interesting learning for me is you know the, the best times in my career have been when I've worked with a really good team, we, we, we're really smashing it, we we get, but it's often been quite short lived for various reasons. Mm-hmm. And what struck me when you were telling me earlier about the the senior management team is how long everyone's been in position and how much trust there is, how much honesty, how much empathy and care there is for everyone else. And that strikes me as a really undervalued secret of, of success in business today. Because we're so fast-paced, we're replacing people, replacing roles, changing teams, changing agencies, tenure of CMOs getting shorter and shorter and shorter. That all comes at a cost because you lose the institutional wisdom, you lose the knowledge of the shortcuts, how to do things, you lose the personal connections, you lose the trust. Yeah, I think it. I wonder how much of your success has been down to the groundwork that was done before and the culture that was established and the trust and the, the support you probably had to go and be brave in the, the work you've done and stuff that's yeah. now paying back. Absolutely. Well, so one key thing, I think, is, you know, when um, when my boss, Andy, who was the MD when I was recruited as marketing director and is still the MD now, um, you know, I think the fact that he'd been around for a long time and that we, although I'd never worked with him, he knew me. Mm. Um, I, I think I benefited from that when I got the role, you know, because yeah. like I said earlier, there were areas of uh, my sort of CV where I had great big holes in terms of what you'd want from a marketing director. But I think that we were mm. enough, I was enough of a known quantity to Andy that he's so prepared true. to take a bit of a flyer on me. I think the other thing is like if the, I don't know what the average tenure of a marketing director or CMO is, but like say it's like a couple of years or three years max, they probably come in and spend the first third of their tenure. Yeah, learning. Just yeah. yeah, yeah, but also probably just waiting for the stuff that the last person did to sort yeah. of peter out. Yeah. Then they do the one thing they had in mind, which probably is what won them the job in the interview. <laughs> yeah. Then they spend the next year. Then they learn what really their, works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. then they spend the last third of their tenure like trying to figure out where they're going to go next because they know fired. they're going to be going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's just that like awful short termism. Yeah, that completely. Occurs. Um, 
and I, I feel like there's a sort of similar parallel that happens in the sort of advertising where mm. um I know, I know this is something you've talked about with some of your other guests as well that kind of neomania of like we we just we get bored of our work far faster totally, than totally, the consumer yeah. does yeah so like we're we're at that stage with our um our campaign is mm. you know we we're sort of preoccupied with like oh is it time to move away from celebrities because we've mm. done that now whereas the truth is the average person is paying so little attention to advertising that like even if you manage to like land the same message two or three times it's yeah. still barely gone in well I, I, I can't remember the precise byron sharp quote but it's something like most of your consumers buy you occasionally and are spending most of their time thinking about other brands yeah sort of thing and it's important to remember that because because yeah. when, when you know when when you get in the twitter feed you're overexposed to the one percent of your audience who are talking about you all the time and you think that's representative of everybody is completely the opposite and it's a really important lesson actually from the Ehrenberg bass institute that most people are light buyers and you need to think about them more than you need to think about your heavy loyal consumers who are going to keep drinking yeah you. absolutely and so i think that's one of the best bits of wisdom on you know in marketing and shapes a lot of what should shape a lot of strategy a lot of thinking i think um i um i kind of use byron sharp and and his institute as, as kind of like the obvious obviously a playbook just like loads yeah. of other people do but i quite like living in this weird contradictory space where i also ignore some of their advice and his wisdom from time to time partly because i do think um and i, I know like there'd be some if he was even deigning to listen to this there might be some sort of like wry eyebrow raise at this point but I do feel like there's some interesting things about Yorkshire tea that deviate from his norms um one of them would be around like the there is definitely something bizarre about the loyalty to Yorkshire tea now I know it's not a hundred percent pure loyalty yeah. even the loyalists loyal ones will still deviate occasionally and most of our consumers will be yeah. kind of a bit promiscuous but the sort of evangelic advocacy that we see around Yorkshire tea is quite unusual like yeah. you don't get that with lots of other FMCG brands and we'd be stupid if we turned a blind eye to it and didn't use it but I don't want to get so distracted by it that that's, but what that's the only thing yeah um, what I'm trying to do is how do you create a mix where we, where you're spending your big bucks is acquiring the attention of new people but you're doing it in a way where that also happens to activate your advocates because they love it too the, the, the and it actually like, it doesn't yeah. just sort of remind them but it like stirs them up so yeah. that they say more positive things about yeah. you and then they become a form of media advertising to well they are it's word yeah. of mouth isn't it the, that's, the number that's, one. that's the sort yeah. of hope that that's the cycle and um, and one of the uh, one of my recent examples that I sort of used to think like I don't think I'm mad. Um, so with our advertising, when you although I know that a lot of people will barely remember it, um, because we're focusing on trying to make it entertaining um, and sort of heartwarming and authentic, as well as riddled with distinctive brand assets and consistent and all that stuff is this focus on trying to make them entertaining. My favorite um, example was from cu our customer services team. They've had people ringing in to complain about the Sean Bean ad, not because they are cross but about the ad, but because the full version is a 40 second, which mm. we obviously, like most brands, yeah. we don't run that all the time. We might run a 20 second version or 30. The shorter versions have one of the gags missing because we can't fit it yeah. all in. We've had people ringing in to complain that we're not showing the long version. Oh, brilliant. I love that. <laughs> Which I just like, I would be really interested to see if there are any other businesses out there where nice. they've got the same story that people are saying, please advertise at me more. Yeah, yeah. We're actually, yeah, that's really interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm now thinking, I'm going through, 
I mean, the other the other brand that's similar to you that has done a similar job to you, which we often look at, is Warburton's. Mm. Actually, which is quite interesting, and they've actually used celebrity in a very similar way, whether it's Muppets or Robert De Niro, yeah, yeah. and they've used entertainment, they've used provenance, they've used the assets that they've got, like the truck and the office and Jonathan Warburton himself actually mm-hmm. appears in appears in it. So you get that kind of founder authenticity. They're probably the other brand that I think I don't know, I'd have to ask them actually. I'll give them a call and find out. But they're the ones I think you might because because actually their their 60 and 90 seconds are just brilliant. And of course they cut down to 30 as well. Um, actually they're another good example of where you can run an old ad again. In fact they approached us last year during lockdown to say uh, they can't make a new ad could we give them some feedback on their old ads? And um, what we were able to, we retested actually their old advertising and it had slightly improved. Because oh, actually wow. the familiarity of with their advertising actually meant the score went up. So far from wearing out, actually it was the opposite, it was wearing in. And this is, I think, the trap that people get into. It's like the, you know, the Coke uh, Holidays Are Coming ad is on our systems got better every single year because people associate it more and more and more with Christmas and, course, and yeah. so on. So there's definitely a, a benefit of familiarity. I'd be really interested in how that works for brands like John Lewis and the whole Christmas sort of circus. Yeah. So if Christmas has now become this kind of moment in time, I mean, I don't know how much this is um, marketers just talking to themselves and whether real people <laughs> yes. think this way, but like, to what extent do real people kind of notice that there's this bonanza of advertising each Christmas? And when with John Lewis, there's this weird thing that's going on where it's like each year they've got to somehow top what they yeah. did before. But personally, I just can't help but think that it's some of the early versions of that kind of advertising they did where they were really on the nail and the yeah. quality yeah. of the creative was just so strong. Yeah, probably the case that like it's somewhere in the middle. Probably, of the yeah. Probably creatives that are, are getting. Well, the it last right. two, the last two years, they've so the excitable Edgar two years ago was the best on our testing, the best John Lewis ad ever. In fact, mm. it tops our database as the best ad wow. ever. It does everything brilliantly well. So they have got recent form. Um, the last two haven't done as well, but they've got this fame building machine that operates every single year, which is the builds the anticipation, yeah. gets a debate going, they get talked about. So I suspect they might be in a position where because they're John Lewis and because they've built up this association with Christmas and they've got the thematic of their, you know, the sort of playbook, as it were, they probably bank a lot of earned media, mm. I suspect, even though creatively they don't always hit the nail on the head well I, I, what i was wondering was just if you were to if they were to air an older christmas ad well that i think would be very interesting because i mean in a way they've got us accustomed to the new ad mm. so i wonder whether that would break the story a bit wouldn't it it's like well it's the anticipation of how they're going to do it this year how yeah. are they going to yeah, develop it? i mean the, the one i admire which um in danger of talking about too much. Uh, in fact, they should start paying me commission. Is of course Aldi. Yeah. <laughs> so, what oh, you're going to talk about Kevin? The I know. Cat. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, was, uh, I, I need <laughs> to put okay. a little disclaimer on the podcast. So here he comes again. Yeah. Take a break. Grab a grab a cup of uh, Yorkshire tea while we quickly talk about uh, <laughs> Kevin the Carrot. But um, but I I, I I do admire them because they've got a formula. They've got a character, but they change the script so it feels fresh every time. But it uses the same clever tactics, mm. and it's undeniably Aldi. And it's Kevin in, in the same way that you do so well. And I think that's the clever thing is to have a, a is, is don't forget your marketing. And I think that's what John Lewis forget is they almost forget that they're advertising. It's like they, they've become a storyteller. And actually what you do well, what Warburton's do well, what Audi does well is you never forget. 
it's the advertising. It's saying something about you. Mm-hmm. It's true to your position. It communicates something about the brand in a very funny way, but it's undeniably Yorkshire Tea or Audi or, or Warburton's and things. So that's why I think you're doing so well. I th- uh, thank you. I think um, one of the, you mentioned that before, and I was going to pick up on it, but just. What's helpful is that our product is part of everyday life. Of course, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's also part of everyday life in multiple settings, like an office yeah. and a workplace. So what it's easy for... So if you're going to have uh, Parky in a room interviewing someone, then it doesn't feel weirdly like you've crowbarred it in if there's a branded Yorkshire tea teapot yes. and a mug yeah. in the shop. And if he offers someone a cup of tea and... Yeah. Um, or if uh, Sean Bean is talking to everyone and he's talking to them about uh, what they're here to do and what it is we make, then um, that was an interesting one, actually, because what we were trying to do, every time we work on an ad, we've got this thing about, like, show me the tea. So there's got to be a moment in the ad where you don't just... I can imagine you, you screaming from see the, the sidelines of the show director, me the show me the tea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and a lot of the time, like, it doesn't need to be said because everybody's on it. But sometimes you get so carried away with an idea that... It evolves until it suddenly yeah. becomes apparent. You're like, ah, oh, it's going to be really hard to fit we a cup of tea. We forgot about this. the tea. Damn it! So I think like <laughs> the Kaiser Chiefs was probably the one that was the trickiest because yeah. um, you didn't want to mess with how well the you ad placed worked. the tea pretty well. The tea's on the back. It's in the yeah, it's, but it's, that it's that there. took a bit of work to figure yeah. out like how, where can we put a cup yeah. of tea because one option would have been, but it would have been quite heavy handed. Mm. Would have been to say to the band, "Will you hold a cup of tea?" And the only one who's got a hand for doesn't, do doesn't he grab a tea at some point? Maybe uh, it's a longer one version. of the guys in the I, back of the band. I think it might have been yeah. the bass player. But uh, the, yeah. the at, at one point, it felt like our only option to make it work would have been to have Ricky Wilson hold a cup of tea. Yeah, but actually, I did, think but, yeah. that would have pushed him into a place where it's like not just band, but Ricky as an individual yeah, personal yeah, yeah, brand yeah, yeah, is right, suddenly yes, endorsing. Yeah, yeah. And it... You know, I think Change if we'd that. negotiated that ages before, maybe it would have been an okay yeah. thing to do. But on the day, I think it felt like, ah, this is tricky. Um, I think we did it well. And ob- obviously, like, the product and looking down... Because the other thing is it, we've got this thing about you've got to look down into the mug. It's not enough to have a branded mug in shot. You've got to be able to see the tea in the mug. Because even if it's only there for a few seconds, like, you just want to communicate that proper color yeah because I, I think that's one of the like key truths about Yorkshire tea is that it isn't insipid and weak and you're going to get like that lovely sort of golden orangey caramelly mm-hmm. color um so in most cases we just yeah you know if you go back through our ads you should be able to spot ah oh, there they, they did it there um, i love these little details you talk to somebody when you, when you when you work on something it's funny isn't it like it's been saved me in every bit of my career is you you, you start to obsess about certain things, don't you? Yeah. That, that become important. And, you know, Lando in his book talks about how important the details are and how even the colour grading can make you change how you feel and things like that. So I think that's why, are important. like your point about John Lewis, and I'm not, I don't mean to pick on them because I think they're doing it wrong. I think they've done so much stuff that's been mm. very leaderful and brilliant. Um, but sometimes with ads, you do feel like it's it's as if the marketing department and then the business has sort of, lost the will to sell yes, it's like yes. they're a bit afraid to yeah. say we're trying to tell you about a product yeah. and we'd like you to buy it yeah whereas i just think ideally like that is what marketing is doing yeah. but we shouldn't be ashamed of the fact that that's what we're doing but yeah. it shouldn't be a binary choice between either make a piece of well, entertainment that, that doesn't sell or sell something that's not entertaining completely great you can separate christmas ads into those that can sell and those that can't right mm. so best christmas ads um amazon uh, smiling packages a couple of years ago 
genius, right? Mm. So you felt happy, there was a beautiful tune, and they turned their Fluent device, the, the smile, into an animation on every package. Absolutely brilliant. Like Coke as well, you know, the, the truck. Yeah. It, it just, you can't help think of Coke, obviously what you do. Um, and I think there are some advertising at Christmas that become could become self-indulgent and for the purpose of advertising rather than for the purpose of selling. I mean, actually, a good example this year of doing it right is I, I love the M&S ad with Percy the Pig. Mm-hmm. I mean, Percy the Pig is just one of those hugely loved, uh, you know, familiar devices that M&S have in their locker they've just not used, you know. And Well, I, I find myself as well wondering with someone like M&S whether they have any of the same things that we would have where because M&S operate at a sort of certain quality level and they've been around a really long time I don't know whether inside M&S there'll have been a reluctance to embrace Percy Pig as a kind of uh, symbol and an emblem and and their figurehead because you know it's a a sweetie and it's not the most luxurious thing they make but hopefully they've just recognised oh my god we've got brilliant success on our hands here let's yeah, get behind association, it isn't it it's like yeah. percy pig m&s you know but the and affection with which people talk about percy pigs is it, it's a crazy it was, it's a bit like you were describing about yorkshire tears and it? it's got mm. that level of involvement yeah. hasn't it and, and they had that spat with aldi earlier in the year over cuthbert the caterpillar mm. i remember mm-hmm. or colin the cat colin yeah. versus cuthbert wasn't it so uh, they, they've obviously learned something from the power of uh, some of their animal characters yeah. and how they can And I think it's Tom Holland who's doing the voice as That's well, right. which for me and was Dawn just a French really bit of oh, yeah. I mean, just inspired just casting. Brilliant yeah. casting, entertaining. And it's set in a store. And again, p- people often feel afraid to, well, can't put this in a store. It's obviously selling, but you know, mm. it doesn't matter, does it? You know, you yeah. show off your product at the same, bit like you setting it in a factory, you know. It, it's, it's a perfect stage to, from which yeah. to sell. Which is nice because I think actually what are, are my favourite time from M&S's sort of recent advertising would just be just the obvious, like, this isn't just, this is M&S. Oh, brilliant. And, yeah. um, and the fact that those ads just held your attention, but you'd be looking, I don't know, you'd be looking at a Christmas pudding or a roast chicken yeah, or a quiche yeah, or something. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> All these you other ads the that try to be incredibly clever. The and then this one just goes, we're just going to show this you some no custard. ordinary custard. This yeah. is M&S custard. It's like you could take some, anything, couldn't you, and mm. make it suddenly indulgent. Yeah, brilliant. Well, listen, it's been an absolute blast. Um, I could keep this conversation going for a long time, actually, but I suspect uh, producer James is nodding at me. Um, you know, because I have been known to go on, although I think I set my own record last episode, didn't I, for like the two-hour marathon talking myself. So ne- never interview me is the, is the moral of the story, but it's been, a, been great to have you on. I thoroughly enjoyed hearing all the stories about how you got to where you are today as a brand and, and personally as well. And some of the insights behind what what's made it so successful for you. So, keep 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 it up, and good luck for maintaining this momentum. I, I think you have created yourself such a high bar now. <laughs> so I look forward to see how next year unfolds. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean the, that bar sometimes does keep me awake. Yeah, I imagine it you know, was. Yeah. What, what do you do when you're a challenger brand and you yeah. suddenly become and you're a now leader? number one? Yeah. Well, what does what does properness question. look like as a leader rather Proper than a challenger? Number one. Yeah. So maybe I'll come back to you in a while keep, and talk keep, to you about how we've done it. You need to change it. the charts and, and pretend you're number two again and go, oh, no, what are we going to do? Well, and I mean, I know you were wrapping things up, but just very quickly to say, I think uh, that's exactly what we need to do yeah. in that, you know, the UK is not the whole market. Like, there's a whole world out there, and Yorkshire Tea is actually tiny when it comes to think about tea consumption around the world. So I guess that's the next thing, sort of reset the landscape so that we go back to being David and not Goliath. Definitely. What a good place to end. Brilliant. Dom, thank you so much. Thank you. 
There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That is how Dom Dwight and the team at Yorkshire Tea uh, took a brand from number three and turned it into a number one, a proper number one tea brand. Um, I hope you're inspired by that chat with Dom, um, full of pearls of wisdom and some really practical tips as well. Um, if you want to uh, be as successful as they have been. Um, if you enjoyed the conversation and want to find out more about Uncensored CMO, the best thing you can do is subscribe. Um, just go to Apple Podcasts, click on the subscribe button and never miss an episode again. Um, if you'd like to follow me, you can do on Twitter. I can be found at Uncensored CMO. And on LinkedIn, I'm under my normal name of John Evans. That's John without an H. Um, would love to hear from you. I hope you're enjoying the episodes and uh, please do give me a review. Remembering that five is the best. Um, and uh, do drop me some feedback as well. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and see you next time.